welcome to another podcast from Basic Scotland. These are a series of brief snapshots about less talked about topics within pre-hospital care in Scotland and some deep dives into some more specialist areas with experts from a variety of disciplines. My name's Dave. I'm an army surgical trainee, a basics responder and a mountain rescue doctor based in Pitlochry. So joining us today, we have Lucy Powell's back. Lucy is now almost becoming a regular on here <laughs> and is the educational lead for the Scottish Multiprofessional Maternity Development Programme. She's been a midwife since 1984 and has worked all over the UK. And she's now working alongside Basics, delivering maternity education to practitioners all over Scotland. Lucy, thanks so much for coming on to join us. Thank you once again, Dave. So I gather Today we're going to look at maternal hypertension and the the scary world of eclampsia. Yes, yes, take you through that. Let's kind of unpick some definitions first. Okay. So hypertension does complicate about eight to ten percent of all pregnancies, and preeclampsia in particular occurs in about four to ten percent of women having their first babies. But one of the things I'm supposed to say is that the incidence of actual eclampsia, so women having seizures has reduced over recent years due to better management and understanding of the disease process. So some definitions, we do get gestational hypertension. This is women who are obviously didn't have hypertension before they were pregnant and then they become hypertensive. It's new hypertension presenting after 20 weeks, but this is without significant proteinuria. Then we have preeclampsia. Now this is a multi-system disorder peculiar to pregnancy. And this is new onset hypertension after 20 weeks gestation, along with significant proteinuria. And again, it's worth mentioning that our limits for blood pressure in pregnancy will differ from the normal adult population. So we're talking here systolic of greater than 140 millimetres of mercury and a diastolic of greater than 90 millimetres of mercury. And we do work with modified maternity early warning charts because of this, because our parameters are different. So I guess, you know, for your average basics responder, this isn't necessarily something that's going to come across as part of a treble nine, but you could well be a person who sees a woman of greater than 20 weeks gestation. And this is the kind of thing that actually picking it up might make a significant difference. Yes, yes, absolutely. Because what the guidelines, the NICE guidelines actually say, and the maternity mortality report say that every woman should have her blood pressure and her urine checked at any visit, really, any kind of contact with a a practitioner. So that is quite good to emphasise that, really. So a systolic over 140 or a diastolic over 90 millimetres of mercury. And is hypertension the disease itself or is it a symptom of this disease that we call eclampsia? They're all symptoms really of, and again, you know, there's been a lot of research done into preeclampsia, but they really don't know exactly why it happens. But there is some thoughts that it's something to do with the placenta and ischemia of the placenta. And then we have eclampsia, which is the occurrence of convulsions in pregnancy with the signs and symptoms of preeclampsia unless otherwise proven. So again, what I would say to everyone is that a pregnant woman having a seizure, assume it's eclampsia, even if she's got a history of epilepsy, we kind of say just assume it's eclampsia rather than thinking it's something else. So some of the signs and symptoms I should say really is this is women will often have a severe headache, severe frontal headache, and they often get 
visual disturbances. They can have this severe pain just below the ribs. They can have vomiting and sudden swelling of the face, hands or feet. You may well know that pregnant women tend to have a bit of edema, particularly of the fingers and the ankles, but the preeclampsia becoming more severe, it's often sudden swelling, often of the face as well, which which sometimes there are people within their family notice. And again, any of these signs and symptoms, they really should be being seen by midwifery or obstetric professional. So I guess we can potentially pick it up through an incidental screening that you know, we've got a woman with a, a systolic of 150 odd, or the next point at which we're likely to see the disease process is at that sort of first significant symptom. And it almost sounds like a, a sort of migraine type presentation. Would, would that be a fair description? Yes, the women say it's like a real severe frontal headache, which I suppose is, isn't it? Yeah, migraineous kind of headache. And again, they get these kind of floaters in the, in the eyes and things along with it. So it's not just your normal headache, which goes away with a bit of paracetamol. Okay. So we've got the definition of maternal hypertension. We've then got the start of the disease process of preeclampsia. If left untreated, what, what happens? The complications are to both the fetus and the mother. So again, you know, hypertension, high blood pressure, the fetus can get, so there can be growth restrictions. So you can cause growth retardation for the baby, which can lead to hypoxia. The placenta, we can get placenta abruption. So this is where the placenta, which is normally stays firmly on the uh, uterine wall, actually comes away. So obviously that's the baby's lifeline. So that's not good news for the baby. From the mother's point of view, she can develop clotting disorders, DIC, and HELP syndrome, and pulmonary edema was one of the high mortality rates, but we've actually done quite well on reducing that. But it's also a multi-system. As the disease progresses, it seems to cause multiple organ failure. So you can end up with acute renal failure, liver failure, stroke, which can then obviously can even lead to death. So this is why we're very on it. We want to diagnose it early and why we say that every time we have an interaction with a pregnant woman, taking her blood pressure and testing her urine, really simple things could alert you to the fact that this disease is progressing. Now, you mentioned a couple of risk factors at the beginning. Mm. Any other sort of groups of people that we need to be particularly cautious about? So some of the risk factors, certainly age, older women are more prone to preeclampsia. As said, for some reason, and we're not quite sure as to why, but first pregnancies particularly, and if they've got a previous history of preeclampsia or they have chronic hypertension, raised BMI, so greater than 35, and things like renal disease itself and diabetes. Women with diabetes are, are at high risk of developing preeclampsia. And they now recommend that women with any of these risk factors take, they're advised to take aspirin daily from 12 weeks of pregnancy. As a sort of risk reduction? Yes, yes. Apparently it has some effect on reducing their risk from preeclampsia. Interesting. I mean, it seems to be a magic cure-all drug. Oh, right. Use it for other <laughs> Using things. Using it more and more for yeah. everything else. Yes. <laughs> there you go. One of the other, the other problematic things is that women themselves feel relatively well. Before they get to the stage where they have this severe headache, they can actually feel they don't feel any different. And it's usually picked up just incidentally at their routine appointments and their blood pressure and your asses are taken. So in the earlier stages, it can be difficult to convince women that they actually do need a little bit more monitoring because they don't tend to feel unwell until it gets into a more severe form. 
Interesting. So it's yeah, it's something that is almost ripe for being picked up, screened incidentally, as much as it is you know, waiting for it to to present with symptoms. Yes, yes, absolutely. In the early stages of the disease process, then the treatment is very simple. It's oral labetalol that is the drug of choice, which is relatively easy and relatively cheap, I believe. And it works really well. And the aim is to kind of keep the blood pressure at about 135 over 85 thereabouts. So simple beta blocker therapy and, and I'm guessing labetalol just purely because we've got good evidence for it, has, given as it's been around Yes, for a while. I mean, it's certainly women are taken, if they have hypertension for any other reason, they certainly are taken off any other drug and given labetalol, it seems to be the obstetrician's choice. And aspirin, is it worth starting aspirin if you suspect that you have a patient who's got maternal hypertension? Well, yes. I, I mean, I, I certainly, as I said, the recent NICE guidelines do advocate that women with risk factors take it daily from 12 weeks. So I assume if they develop risk factors, then that wouldn't do any harm to put them on it after that. And in the acute setting, is there any role for it almost as a treatment rather than prevention? No, I think it really is just a, a preventative method. But once we're actually into the, the disease process itself, then we either are looking at oral labetalol or once it becomes severe preeclampsia, then even IV labetalol. But that's within a hospital setting. The, you know, that would be the woman would be hospitalized and would be treated um, as such. But the other treatment I wanted to talk about is magnesium sulfate, because again, this is a drug that is used for other things, I believe. And this has been shown to control and prevent seizures to stop the eclampsia from happening. And there was a big trial, a magpie trial, that said that the, really this is the drug of choice for preeclampsia. It reduces cerebral vasospasm and women on it have fewer recurrent seizures than when treated with other things such as diazepam. And additionally, magnesium has a neuroprotective effect on the preterm fetus, reducing the risk of cerebral palsy. Because sometimes women develop this earlier in their pregnancy. So then there's this balance about should we deliver the baby early to stop the woman deteriorating? But obviously, then you have to think about the baby as well being born preterm. Magnesium seems to be one of these drugs again, that is finding favour in lots of different areas and something that I suspect is going to become more common in the pre-hospital sphere because obviously you've got clampsics, um, you've got seizures more generally, you've got asthma. It has some role possibly in pain modulation, so it, it's quite a widespread okay. drug. Yes, I, as I said, I believed, yes, it is, it is carried and used for a variety of things now. One of the things I was going to say, though, with its use is that with women with severe preeclampsia, um, it is very important to prevent fluid overload because, as I mentioned, pulmonary edema can be one of the complications. And in the past, women did die from pulmonary edema through preeclampsia. But we now know that we have to be very, very careful with fluids with them. So in these cases, we would ensure that they had urinary catheter inserted because we want to keep an eye on their urine output. But also we restrict their fluids quite severely. So it's one mil per kilo per hour to a maximum of 80 mils per hour of fluids. And this includes all infusions. So if we give the magnesium sulfate, for instance, the loading dose, is four grams of magnesium, which is eight mils. You only add it to 12 mils of saline. So that only comes to 20 mils. I think in general, other practice, it's maybe added to say a hundred mil bag of saline. So it was just to kind of talk a bit about that to emphasize that. 
And it's interesting, again, you know, a lot of the times when people prevent with severe headaches, one of the things that jumps into my mind is, you know, is this dehydration related and, and should I give them a couple of bags of fluid and see what happens? But I'm guessing that's exactly the uh, wrong thing to yes, do. Yes, yes, absolutely. Hunters. That would be unwise. So we're very, very careful of fluids with these women. So no. So there's a loading dose. And again, you know, maybe something that some of your responders might, depending on their circumstances, where they're working from, might want to give magnesium to stop any seizures happening en route. So if there was a transfer involved, then they could be given magnesium. It can be given IM, some places where you wouldn't want to put, there's a maintenance dose, which would be through a pump given IV, but that might not be practical en route in an ambulance, for instance. can be given IM, but it isn't a particularly nice drug to give IM. But obviously, in that circumstance, it would possibly stop a seizure happening en route. I guess here, places like the islands where folk are flung fairly far and wide and might be waiting for six, 12 hours for a, an evacuation of a symptomatic preeclamptic woman mm-hmm. off, it could well be worth considering starting them on a, a magnesium yes. infusion. Yes. So again, we don't expect drives and, and doctors within the hospital setting to remember the exact dosages, but what they tend to have is, is it kind of written up? They have an eclampsia box that they tend to grab and they have the kind of protocol written out and stuff. So, you know, it's something to think about if you're in an area where you think you might use it that you have it somewhere written what the actual dosages are absolutely i'm a huge fan of cheating and and (laughs) i have cheat sheets for pretty much anything i can get my hands on so anything i can write down and offload from my brain definitely definitely that's fair enough okay so sort of looking forwards we've got hypertension and then hypertension that becomes symptomatic which we're calling preeclampsia and you've mentioned eclamptic Mm. seizures this, I'm guessing, is the end stage of the yes, disease process. Yes, so it left unchecked. And in some cases, even when you treat the preeclampsia, for some women, they still will go on and have an eclamptic fit. But why we're so mindful of being aware of making sure that we monitor women and, and assess women on a regular basis for their blood pressure and their, their urinalysis is that we want to try and prevent this from happening. But occasionally, you may find that they go on to have an eclamptic fit. The seizure management is the same as it would be for any other seizure. But it's, I suppose, again, preeclampsia, the cure for preeclampsia is the birth of the baby. But it doesn't mean you're out of the woods. So 44% of eclamptic fits happen post-birth. So that's another thing just to be aware of. And most are single seizures and they're self-limiting to about 90 seconds. But again, the management is as would be for a seizure itself is you want to call for help, again, depending on your situation, where you are and what you, who you call for. Correct positioning, A, B, C, D, E assessment, as you would do, high flow oxygen. As you said before, you know, IV access with large bore Benflons and really, as I said, delivery of the baby is the cure, but it's not always immediate. So she would need to be transferred if this was happening outside of a maternity unit to a maternity unit once kind of blood pressure and fitting were controlled. So this is where giving magnesium would definitely be recommended. 
Now, you mentioned correct positioning there. I'm assuming that we're in that obstetric sphere of not going flat on back, but using a wedge to try and offload yes, the Yes, I mean, I, again, I suppose even in a normal seizure, it would be making them safe, wouldn't it, as well? But yes, you're correct. Yeah, that obviously, we wouldn't want a pregnant woman to be flat on her back. Obviously, if she's delivered, if she at this point has had the baby, but has unfortunately had an eclamptic fit, then it would just be kind of positioning her in a way to keep her safe. But yes, left lateral with a wedge if she's still pregnant. Now, seizure management in the sort of straightforward adult, yep. <laughs> if we can call that, I would be thinking reasonably early about where I'd be going next in terms of benzodiazepines and more aggressive seizure control if things didn't settle. If these eclamptic fits don't settle down, is there anything different about management? You mentioned magnesium. We'd probably come higher up the list than it would do in a normal Yes, well, certainly, as I said, they certainly say magnesium sulfate is really the only medication to manage eclampsia if you've got it. I mean, you can use other anticonvulsants, obviously, if if you don't have access to magnesium. But if the seizures didn't stop after the loading dose and the maintenance dose, you can actually give more magnesium sulfate. So we would recommend giving another two grams of intravenous bolus over five minutes. And thinking here about ambulance colleagues who don't routinely carry magnesium, but would have midazolam as their sort of first line seizure management drug. Is that okay to give? Yes. I mean, obviously, the the most important thing is to stop the seizures because, A, from her point of view, you want to stop the seizures as quickly as you can. You don't want them carrying on. So, yes, any drug in that nature would be better than nothing if you don't have access to magnesium. And then all these folk presumably going to need significant follow up and discussion about when it's best yes. So, I mean, if she's still pregnant, then once she gets to the hospital, then the obstetricians and the anaesthetists will be discussing how best to manage her. And in a lot of cases, it is delivery and just kind of dealing with the baby. If it is preterm, then the neonatal team will be on hand for that. And then she would need postnatal follow up from her next steps as to when if she was thinking of having more babies then uh, she would be at high risk of having preeclampsia again so they would manage her very very closely and you mentioned sort of aspirin and tight blood pressure control with libetalol yes, as, yes, as part of that absolutely now often with seizures and particularly post seizure you see a big spike in blood pressure is there any value in trying to treat this if you've got the ability to do so Antihypertensives are as important. The magnesium sulfate is either to stop seizures or to stop further seizures if they've started. And they do, obviously, that has that effect, doesn't it, of kind of calming the blood pressure a little bit, but they aren't antihypertensives. So, yes, labetalol would certainly be a drug of choice to actually keep the blood pressure under control. Well, that's taken us all the way through from continuum of disease, from a little bit of of raised blood pressure through the definition of hypertension, the varying degrees of preeclampsia and its symptoms, right the way up to dealing with the seizing pregnant woman and a bit of aftercare. So that's taken us through the whole gamut of the disease. (laughs) What we'll do, as always, uh, we'll get you to give as three top tips for managing preeclampsia and eclampsia. Yes. So really what I was going to say was that preeclampsia actually is quite common and that BP and urine urinalysis should be checked at every visit. So any available opportunity with a practitioner. Severe hypertension requires urgent management and we're talking here systolic of, of greater than 160 millimetres of mercury. And management of eclampsia, Basic ABC support and magnesium sulfate is the drug of choice for seizure, prophylaxis and preventing further. 
brilliant lucy that's fantastic as ever what we'll do is we'll try and get some links from you for management protocols and things that we can put up with this episode and thanks so much for coming on and and talking through that's it for this week if you have any comments or questions visit the podcasters page and leave us a reply in the box at the bottom join us next week for another podcast from basic scotland 